Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota, Gulf Coast Business Supply, and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hey, if you're a regular listener of Coast View, you know this, that I have a real commitment to the military community here. And we, uh, we, do, we, we talk to professionals from the bases and, and people who are in the know about what's happening in the military community as often as we can because they're such an important part of what we do. You think about Ingalls being on one side, Stennis being on the other, and then between you have tourism and you know all these special communities and you have a huge military contingent that has been actually really important to us as we've kind of made our transition through this pandemic and recently you may have heard my conversation with lieutenant governor uh, lieutenant colonel i i was mentioning earlier to our guests that i was having a, a a conversation with someone about the lieutenant governor so i guess i've got that committed to my mind but lieutenant uh, colonel josh daniels who's the chief of public affairs for the 81st training wing out at keesler had a really good visit with him and he's going to be a, a terrific conduit for us as we continue to focus on uh, leaders there uh, at the at Keesley Air Force Base, and we have one here we're about to talk to now, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Neese. He's a he's a doctor. Uh, he's the deputy director of the 81st Medical Group at Keesler Medical Center. He's also deputy director of the Coastal Mississippi Market, which actually oversees the care of some 48,000 federal beneficiaries at Keesler Medical Center and the Navy Medi- Medicine Readiness and Training Unit in Guffport. Um, so a long list of responsibilities and when you hear about where this guy came from and what his uh, qualifications are and what his experience is you'll you'll see he's well well deserves this uh, unique distinction as a leader at Keesler Air Force Base but without any further ado uh, I do let me uh, welcome Dr. Neese to the to, to coach you how you doing buddy doing great thank you for having uh, having me personally but also representing the Keesler Medical Center I think we're excited to share a little bit about our story with you it's uh you know we'll do this tell briefly what you do a little bit more about what i just described we're going to come back to it in the second half and go and we'll dive a little bit deeper and understand it more deeply but i really want to tell your inspiring story you came through harvard you've been all over the world you 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 speak spanish you've sort of done it all and um, i want to tell that story but kind of briefly tell more about what it is you do now well, here, um, I mean, we run in a, a hospital, and it's not just a hospital taking care of patients. It's also a hospital that trains future physicians, future nurse practitioners, and uh, physician assistants, as well as a plethora of different um, enlisted medical technicians of various stripes. We have a lot going on here. Uh, and then we also support the community in, a, in a really a variety of ways. So my particular job is just overseeing the clinical operations. Uh, I'm the deputy to a commander who really has to look at both the readiness mission, the operational mission of, of us as military medics, as well as the delivery of clinical care to our beneficiary population, which you mentioned is um, almost 50,000 uh, beneficiaries. It's incredible. 
Yeah, I've always had tremendous appreciation for for uh, Keesler Medical Center. It's had it's, it's played so many important roles over many many years. We used to publish when I was at the Sun Herald. We published the Keesler News for the entire time that I was there, and so we had just just ongoing relationship. And so as a result of that, we we knew so much of what was happening on the base on any given week, and it's just incredible what's happening. There's specifically incredible what's happening at the medical center. And we'll come back and talk more about how the pandemic affected you, whether you ever thought that you would lead in a pandemic. But let's just kind of come back a little bit. I I know where you went to school. You went to LSU, but I don't know where you grew up. Where did you grow up? Well, so when people say where I'm from, I say Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But did I grow up there? I, was, I did not. Uh, my father was born and raised there, and my mother was from Metairie. And, uh, but, but my father went into the Air Force. He was a RF-4 pilot. And uh, so I grew up an Air Force brat. And as an Air Force brat, I mean, we always went to family vacations back here in South Louisiana. I say back here because I feel like Mississippi Gulf Coast is really uh, a lot like South Louisiana. And I, I feel that kinship to it. But we would always come back there. So I always did feel connected to it. And then, of course, when I went to LSU, it was really to go home and uh, to get around family again. So you got a Bachelor of Arts degree in Spanish, which is so it's so interesting studying your past. You went on to Harvard to get a to get a uh, Master of Public Health, but how did you make? First of all, how did you decide you wanted to do Spanish, and then how did it switch to going to get a Master's at Harvard? Well, uh, I, I think my the way I thought of it is uh, as I started to think about what I wanted to do out in the world, I, I wanted something that I could do anywhere in the world. And of course, the human body is the same all over the world, although it's colored by culture. And, and that is something also I was interested in. So I thought, wow, if I could get a language degree, but also do pre-med, then I, I could really go out in the world and, and practice medicine. So I started having that vision for my life. And, um, and it did work out. It just meant that my, <laughs> you know, my primary degree was Spanish. So all my electives were like organic chemistry and physics, which is kind of a bummer. You know, to have to take those kind of courses as your electives, but it, it all worked out exactly. Really, honestly, better than I ever dreamed it would have. I love the way you say um, sort of a worldwide thing that the human body is different and separated only by culture. I think you could not be more right about that. But look, you went to medical school in Israel. What did, yes. I mean, t- how did you ultimately make that decision? Well, yeah. That was not an easy decision in the sense because I was also, I had a fiance who is now my wife still. Thankfully, that all worked out. But that was a, you know, an opportunity to go learn cross-cultural medicine, to go learn global health, to be, to be developed and trained as a, as a physician that could then practice in those environments. And that's, that's what attracted me to the program. And uh, so, yeah, so moved over to Israel and it's a four-year program and then was able to come back to the United States and do my family medicine residency uh, pretty seamlessly. And uh, I couldn't join the Air Force at, at, because I was in an overseas medical school until I came back to do my residency stateside. Uh, well, you did You did your residency in family medicine and, and Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. That, I love that place, incidentally. I've been there before, and what a, what a cool place. Do you have good memories about being there? I do. And the reason I went there is because they actually take care of uh, – it's a refugee resettlement uh, town, if you will. They absorb refugees from all over, and, and our our family medicine residency actually provided primary care to them. So I thought that that was a great extension of this uh, career path that I was on. 
So you go into the Air Force, you go to Air War College, you you ultimately, you know, you, you get sort of very well trained, become, a, I guess, a flight surgeon along the way. Tell me about that path. Well, when you're in the, in the I mean, this is actually very interesting about the opportunities that exist in the Air Force uh, for physicians of all stripes, uh, is the opportunity to, to do flight medicine, to be a flight surgeon. And by the way, you're, you're part of the rated air crew. Um, so you get to really be a part of that crew and you log flight hours and you get to um, kind of learn all about aviation. And that's just something I thought was so cool. Um, and I wanted to take advantage of that. So as soon as you get in the Air Force, you start to realize that that's, look, we're a flying mission. That's what the Air Force does. So uh, it was really uh, interesting to kind of go into that world. It's a whole new world of uh, kind of a you know, place in medicine that I didn't know anything about, but, uh, but I really enjoyed learning about. So your, uh, your travels took you all around the world. And uh, ultimately, you landed in the Pentagon. But uh, tell me about some of your more interesting assignments along the way. Well, I, you know, so I think that the reality is, I mean, I, I told you that I was going to end up in HOMA. I don't remember if we were on air when I said this, but had I not gone into medicine, my plan was to go down to HOMA, Louisiana, learn Cajun French and coach football. So what does somebody like that do in their in an Air Force career and, you know, uh, clearly, I wanted to do cross-cultural, uh, have cross-cultural experiences and use my languages. And it turns out that the Air Force actually does that. And they do global health and they do cross-cultural medicine and they actually do language, foreign language development. And I won't bore you with the details of all that, but the bottom line is I was able to do jobs, a particular job where I was working with Latin American Air Forces to build partnerships, uh, to, to work together to uh, achieve common goals. So using the language, uh, obviously traveling uh, as well to build those relationships. So I think because the Air Force sort of had that, those opportunities that really kind of kept me in, if you will, and I'm still in, I can't seem to get away from the Air Force and it's been fun. And uh, so here I am still kind of uh, working through different opportunities that the Air Force has. It is really interesting how people in their, whether their formal training or their, their, their life experience through their travels or through their various assignments, you know, you think about your, your Harvard degree and your Spanish focus and then your, your, your MD and all the things, how it all comes together in this moment. So it's really kind of interesting the way you've landed in this particular role. It'd be, it would actually be very interesting to see where you're going to be in five or 10 years because you have such a, a global uh, perspective and you have such a, a, an inquisitiveness about yourself. Hey, listen, what we're going to do, I, I want to, I we'll continue that part of the conversation and when we come back, when we come back and then we'll, we'll get into some of, some of the more details around what it is you're doing. But we're having a terrific conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Neese, uh, Dr. Neese, and uh, we'll continue the conversation when we come back. Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a terrific conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Brian Neese. He's a, he's a doctor and he's the deputy director for the 81st Medical Group at Keesler Medical Center. And you know, I told him during the break that we could literally have dedicated an entire show to him because he's really a fascinating guy. He's done so many different things, to, and you know, he finds himself in this position. And one of the things you should know as a listener that makes him even more fascinating to me, not knowing that he would one day be the deputy director there in the current role that he's playing now at Keesler Medical Center, in 2006, he wrote for the Chicago Sun-Times a story set that said Katrina exposed gaps in healthcare system. Had no idea that he would end up here in coastal Mississippi at the time. But um you know it's it's you know because I guess that's you know your metairie connection and your and your passion for understanding the the difficulties after Katrina and why that was important. You couldn't you couldn't just not comment about it, I guess. I mean I think that's uh everybody has their experience with, with Katrina. I mean it's just one of those landmark moments in the even the psychology of people from the from the region i mean i wasn't not living here at the time but family was and yeah your heart just aches and so part of that is just how to how to sort of connect with that and i was at a point in time where um, i had an opportunity to take some some time during my training to actually i actually went down to new orleans and went around with uh, the corps of engineers i met with all kinds of people obviously i met with my to understand the challenges before the focus of the article was about healthcare because that that's i mean it was just thrown to the wind you know and uh chronic disease management that's a huge problem when the, when new new provider teams don't know your background your medical history um you know where's your prescriptions where's your old meds i mean it's just all tossed how do you restart and then, of course, health insurance and, and all those things that go with it. So uh, that was that was really to connect. I, I honestly, it was really to connect to my family and to the region, and I think in a way, in a meaningful way. Well, Which we mentioned. Still, what, what, I mean, go ahead, say it again. I, sorry. There are things unresolved, as as many people know. I mean, these these are not things that um, they're almost going to take a generation of people. I think to to really resolve. Yeah, having been a leader here in coastal Mississippi and an observer of the post-Katrina world, here we are nearly 16 years later, and we're still under trying to understand how that's impacted us. And I often compare that to the pandemic. Katrina hit this region. The pandemic hit the world. 20 years from now, Dr. Neese, we're still going to be talking about how the pandemic changed everything, how it sped up trends that were in existence before, how it enabled technology in ways we didn't know, how it sped up you know, trends in medical care. It's, I mean, we, we, we don't fully appreciate just how much of things, our, our lives have changed as a result of the pandemic, do we? I, I, I'll tell you, um, I mean, this is a little bit out of my scope. It's not particular to, to my work here, but I, just in my own studies of this, I think uh, my impression is with the, the advancement in technology that we're talking about with these vaccines, we're very focused on COVID right now. But when we get past that and we, we take really an assessment of where we stand with the technology, in particular with vaccines, we're going to realize that the game has changed. Like <laughs> this technology that is driving these new vaccines are going to allow us to tailor our vaccines 
to, for example, the flu that is hitting us this year, right? Because we're always treating last year's flu just because the vaccine technology required that sort of lead time. But it's going to be agile in a way that really allows us to treat and prevent disease and not just flu and not just COVID. Diseases we have not yet been able to treat with vaccines. It is exciting. We don't see that yet, right? Because we're still under this burden of COVID. But when the sort of the veil lifts and we move out from that cloud, we're going to realize that the game has changed. And I think from a military perspective and a readiness perspective, that's very exciting because this technology is going to allow our military to be much better prepared going into very uncertain times, right? And that's yeah. what we have. Challenge before us is to be ready for things we can't even uh, foresee. So we, we think this is going to position us um, in a, much better in the future. It's, it will be interesting, as I pointed out, in 15 or 20 years to look back and see how the pandemic put so many trends on steroids. I mean, it's just incredible the impact it's going to be. Hey, before we move too far away from you, because I want to get specifically to your role today, we talked about Spanish, but if you went to you went to Israel to medical school and then you had to learn Hebrew and then you were involved in these other efforts, you, you, I see that you were also Portuguese-Brazilian and Portuguese-European, so you now speak five languages, including English, of course. Um, you uh, you've you sort of uh, you're sort sort of a smart guy and have, and have really understood the importance of language uh, and and everything that you do. Well, I, I think that as I look back on it, I realize you know language is kind of my hobby. I mean, it's I actually I joke with my wife that, that there's a book called Five Hundred and One Verbs. It's a book that just conjugates verbs, and it's my favorite book in whatever language. I mean, I I mean that's so boring, right? But I get very excited about it. And so I, I realize that that's just something I enjoy doing. Um, I love the challenge of it. As you learn new words, it's like a veil lifts, you know, and something that was totally confusing starts to make sense. And, and you can use that to connect to people, use it to understand culture better. I mean, that's just that's just fun. So I, I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I've had to, to learn foreign languages. I'm not fluent in all those languages. I mean, you know, it's, it's something... Uh, it's a it's a day to day. I'm always learning, but I but I enjoy that. So I kind of accept that it's going to wax and wane, but it's just fun. So as the deputy director of the 81st Medical Group at Keesley Air Force Base, um, that's a big responsibility. Kind of give me your take on on the work that you do on a daily basis. Well, I mean, first of all, when you're uh, leading an organization, uh, any organization, but especially a large organization. Um, there's so much trust involved. I mean, really, it's um, it's trying to get to know the mission, really getting side by side with the, the, the folks that are at the tip of the sphere and, and learning from them. So I guess I'll connect all the dots here and saying it's it's like learning a foreign language. When I came here to Keesler Medical Center, it had been a while since I'd been in a, in a tertiary care center, like with inpatient medicine, with surgery. I'm usually in an outpatient setting. That's where I'm comfortable. Well, what do you do when you're uncomfortable? What do you do when um, this community of people, let's say surgeons, for example, are speaking a language that I'm less familiar with? You ask questions, you learn, you write stuff down. And so you're taking that in and you're sort of just trying to grow and learn. So it's a lot like the foreign language. Then it starts to become a little more clear. And then that's where the leadership piece comes in. You can start to see problems and say, you know, ask probing questions. And, and, and you're working as a team to resolve those. I mean, I think that's first and foremost, to, to lead, you have to um, 
be willing to learn. You really have to be a learner. And um, and then you have to be able to work together as a team. I'm not solving any problems. If I'm solving the problem, it's not going to be a good solution. If the problems are really solved at the at the front line. I mean, we have young airmen. And this is probably the part I'm most proud about this particular organization. We have very young airmen, 18, 19, 20 years old. And they are coming up with solutions to problems. And, and they're getting after that. They're like their dedication to the mission is uh, that's the inspiring part. I mean, that is just that's I really want to share that because that's probably not something that people see. I think that uh, the general community does see parts of that and they definitely understand that. But these are their sons and daughters that are working in this medical group. And they're they're uh, leading us. They're bringing us, uh, you know, into a place where we are uh, able to take care of very, very sick people. We're able to do that here on the ground. We have missions that go in the air and deliver ICU level care on a C-17. Um, and, and those types of missions, very unique missions, that's being trained and taught here, here at Keesler Medical Center. It's just very exciting. So I do want your listener, you know, just folks who don't maybe have that intimate contact with the military to know that. They should be very proud of that. Well, clinical education and training in the short time we have left, that's always been a big part of, of uh, the Keesler Medical Center's mission. But it's never been more important than today. Isn't that true? It is true. And, and I will, because um, I know this is important to you, just kind of knowing about uh, shows you've done in the past and, and the topics that you like to talk about. Uh, we cannot do our mission here without our, our partners in the community. Um, and I can tell you, uh, Merritt Health, Singing River, uh, Gulfport Memorial, the VA, uh, and and others. I mean, critical, critical. I mean, it is it's simply no other way to put it than to say we need each other, and um and we have great relationships with all those folks. And um, it's been you know I've only been here a short amount of time, but it did not take a week to kind of understand that fact. In fact, um, going out and meeting those 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 partners is the first priority of any new commander that comes in here. Yeah, I think about uh, Kent Nico at Memorial or Lee Bond over at, at Singer River Health Systems. We're very lucky here in coastal Mississippi to have really well-led, uh, you know, medical conglomerates, whatever you want to call them, because they have multiple locations. And that partnership with Keesler Medical Center, as you point out, is so critical. Always been important, but I, I think it's even more important today. We could probably go another two segments just talking about the pandemic and all of that. But we're unfortunately out of time, uh, Colonel. Niece, Dr. Neese, it's been a real pleasure. We'll have you back. I'd love to, there's a lot to boil down on. And just talking about the, the pandemic impact in, in particular would be an interesting conversation to have. But until we get to talk again, thank you for taking the time and, and uh, sharing your story and your mission with uh, Coastview uh, listeners. Well, well, thank you for having us on behalf of Kiesel Medical Center and our, our commander. Thank you so much for having us. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have a conversation with a volleyball star who has now signed a contract in Switzerland from Ocean Springs. Blake Muller will be back after this break. A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 